Good evening. Welcome to the Yenna podcast. We're recording this on May the 3rd, 2022. I'm Craig, and with me tonight, I have Bronwyn. Hello. And the special COVID edition of Mark. Hey, how's it going? That's a rather deep and husky voice you've got going on there, Mark. Oh, oh, I'm hoping sexy. I'm hoping that's how it's coming across because it's not, <laughs> We're not nice to have it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're not that kind of podcast. Oh, okay, fair enough. But, we, we are uh, not yes, ASMR. We are not going to that realm. I am in the middle of COVID. I am on day three of symptoms and uh, it's not been a fun ride so far. I'm hoping it's going to get better, but um Last night, I lost my taste and uh, sense of smell, um, which is a, a little bit annoying. Mm, I would say on so. Of, on top of everything else, just to add insult to injury, a lot of sinus pain, um, kind of a lot of fevery aches. And then, yeah, now I just can't really taste anything. Mm. And do you know how you got it? No. So I, I was hardly out at all last week. So last Thursday, I think the timeline works well because my first symptoms were Sunday. So last Thursday, I was in my office all day, but the office had, had hardly anybody in there. But then I was out at the Falkenborough for skeptical activism in the evening. So quite possibly I went to a, uh, a healthcare meeting in the pub and caught a disease, which uh, <laughs> is somewhat ironic. <laughs> Yes. Well, you do seem to be the, the more social, at least of, of you and me. Um, Bronwyn, I guess you're exposed to people all the time. Yep. Yep. And so far I've been, I've been very fortunate to be able to avoid it all this time. Mm, yeah. And, and in your job, are you using PPE all the time? Mostly masks, hand washing, um, alcohol gel and gloves. Right. Right. Yep. Well, it's it's good that it has uh, not visited you. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, <clears throat> my husband uh, sort of lives in slight fear that um, I will be the person who brings it into the house, um, and that's just the way yeah. the cookie will crumble if it eventually does happen. Yeah, I guess uh, people are kind of starting to realise that it's not necessarily just a one-time thing. That there's been lots of people that. Uh, have been experiencing it for a second time, which is uh, kind of annoying, really, isn't it? Yeah. So I, I think there's been a mixture of some people that have managed to catch the same variant twice with a few months between, which seems rare, but it does happen. But I did read the other day of somebody that caught, um, I think it was Omicron first and then Delta afterwards, and it was about two weeks between the two, which just sounds awful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole ban- pandemic, a lot of people have assumed that once you have had it, then you're you're immune and you won't get it again. And this was kind of the whole herd immunity idea, but uh, that's certainly turning out not to be the case, which is uh, unfortunate. And uh, yeah, I guess uh, we're, we're lucky that uh, most of us um, have, have had the vaccine and uh, been boosted. And just to confirm, that does include me. I am vaccinated. And oh, boosted. you're not a vaccine um, denier or anything. <laughs> Not a well, I don't know. It's, it, it's tempting. It really is tempting, you know, given that I had three vaccines and I'm still suffering this much. Maybe I'll just change my mind and decide that the vaccine doesn't work. Sure. <laughs> and when was your booster? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, Check your vaccine. I had, mine. <laughs> I had mine and I think I had my booster in 
Tim, who was that mood? Yeah, yeah you're older than me, though, Craig. Remember, you, oh, you, were yes, in of the, uh, you were in the next age group up, right? Yes, yes. So I guess in, in at this point, probably the uh, the effect of the booster is starting to wane. So anyway. Yes, quite possibly. Hang on. I'm, I'm just trying to log in through that convoluted real me thingy. Oh, yes, yes. There's the, there's the My Vaccine Pass app. It's, I, could, uh... I could go and have a look at that. Well, yes. So my vaccine pass expires on the 1st of June. So um, that's actually quite quite close, isn't it? It's like, yeah, those months have rushed by. Yeah, anyway. so my, my third dose, my booster was 6th of February. So right. not too long ago. That Was that mm. two months? No, three months. Yeah. yeah my, mine's also a June 1st expiry. Hmm, right. Ah, how okay. I, how do I find my expiry? It's at the well, bottom of the uh, QR code. Yeah, I'll have a look later, figure out when I need yeah. to get jabbed again. Fun. Mark, do you want to tell us about the um, the BSA decision uh, about the item on 7 Sharp from last year? Yeah, so this one was, was quite interesting. Um, it was a decision from the BSA, which is the Broadcasting Standards Authority, mm-hmm. I believe. And they uh, they'd had a complaint from NZDSOS, which we've talked about that group before. New Zealand doctors speaking out with science. Uh, they'd had a complaint about a seven sharp piece where the presenters had interviewed Dr. Nikki Turner, and Dr. Nikki Turner had done an amazing job of just laying out the basics of the vaccine, just how safe it is, why it's not safe for some people, what the ingredients are, which ingredients can be a problem for people. So there's an issue with an allergic reaction um, and how many people it was not safe for, which is about 100 people. And she talked about how it is safe for people who are immunocompromised. It is safe for people who are pregnant. Um, And she did a really good job of basically laying it out really, really simply for the general public. NZD SOS didn't like this. They put in a complaint um, saying that she did a few things wrong, that she failed to state the key components of the vaccine, which was nonsense. She she stated them so clearly and so simply. She basically talked about how it's got a little bit of genetic code, about how it's got a fatty layer to protect that about how it's got salts to alter the pH and then how it's got a sugar in order to um, be able to allow the thing to be frozen. Um, And she she described it really nicely. They said that she made a misleading claim that the vaccine is safe for almost everybody. And I think this is based on all those anecdotes that uh, groups like the NZDSOS are collecting about the number of people who were vaccine injured. And of course, this is one of the things we see not just here, but overseas as well, when they have these open reporting systems. And a lot of people will report symptoms after having had a vaccine, but that's not evidence that whatever that symptom was happened after the vaccine. Um, And it's up to... Yeah. So the what post hoc ergo proctor hoc. Right. So Mm -hmm. uh, after this, therefore, because of this um, is a logical fallacy. And in this case, a lot of these symptoms that people like to claim are because of the vaccine are just incidental. And um, of course, especially when you're vaccinating millions of people, some of them are going to have weird medical things happen to them within the weeks afterwards because they would have happened anyway, even without the vaccine. But 
because people are heightened and they're thinking about these things or they're just trying to be prudent and report, you will get reports of people saying, I've got these symptoms after the vaccine. But what you have to do then is say, is this above the background? Is this more than we would expect in a population that wasn't vaccinated? And you have to try and figure out whether that's the case. So these, these reports as a raw set of numbers are next to useless. If anything, they're really misleading. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next thing the NZDS uh, SOS complained about was that they incorrectly stated the vaccine was safe for pregnant people. Um, then that it misleads the audience with simplistic comments. Um, so they complained she didn't list things like the key components in the vaccine. Um, but then they say that it's simplistic, but which she did do because she plainly listed things. Um, she was, <laughs> she was really good at that. So it seems like they're trying to have their cake and eat it. And then the final one, they took the position that the risks associated with infection with COVID outweigh the risks with the vaccine. And that, I think, with stats from very early on when COVID got into the wild in New Zealand, our local stats have showed that the rates of hospitalization and death in the vaccinated community as a percentage are much less than they are for the unvaccinated. Mm. Um, And then the last thing they tried to say was that uh, expert opinion from people like Dr. Turner is the lowest tier of evidence and not as reliable as RCTs and meta-analyses. Yep, so, and, that, and that is true. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But certainly, you certainly. can't wait for years for us to have all this coming. There is that, but there's also the fact that it, it's a lower form than RCTs and meta-analyses, but it's certainly a, a higher form of evidence than an anecdote from random people on the street, I think. Um, mm. So, you know, expert opinion is somewhere up there in the middle, I'd say, rather than at the bottom. So, yeah, the, the BSA... Um, They spent a while looking into it and they ended up ruling totally in favor of Seven Sharp, which was great. They said that Dr. Turner is a credible expert, so there's no reason for Seven Sharp to doubt the accuracy of her statements. That Dr. Turner did not claim that the vaccine does not cause side effects. In fact, you know, she talked explicitly about what the side effects are, what the dangerous ones are, and how many people would suffer. Um, They said that the safety and efficacy of the vaccine has been well established, which it absolutely has, and that Dr. Turner summarized the ingredients of the vaccine in simplified terms for viewers without specialist expertise, which she did, and she did really nicely. So it was great that the BSA were able to make such a clear decision on this one. Um, I'm not sure what the NZDSOS are going to do now, tail between their legs, but presumably there are other complaints probably in progress or other areas where they think they might go on the attack in the future because uh, they certainly don't seem like giving in that small group of rogue doctors do seem very active. Yeah. I guess when you've got an ax to grind, you're um, highly motivated to, to pursue these things to the bitter end, unfortunately. Yeah. And I think maybe for some of them as well, and until recently they didn't have a job. Um, so I put together a spreadsheet a while ago of all the doctors that were named by NZDSOS as being members. And I went through that spreadsheet and I tried to find how many of them have a valid practicing certificate with the medical council. And it turns out that when you took out the ones that were dentists or the ones that were retired doctors, et cetera, that it was about half or so of them were actually practicing doctors. And then when I went back to check the spreadsheet a couple of months ago, 
Um, so I might, might have made this list in January. So I went back in February and checked end of February. It turns out that maybe half a dozen of them had lost their medical license since then. And that was quite interesting. Then sadly, the other day, I went through the list a third time uh, because I knew that there'd been a court case that had gone on. And it turns out that after this court case with the doctors arguing that they shouldn't have had their licenses revoked, um, it turns out that several of them have been reinstated and are allowed to practice again. Although I haven't checked with them to see whether any of them are actually employed and presumably a lot of these doctors who've publicly spoken out like this, nobody would want to employ them. There'll be no medical centre that wants them. Although they they are saying that uh, doctors are in short supply at the moment, so perhaps uh, because can't be choosers, I guess, unfortunately. It would be horrible if they were in such short supply that, yeah, they had to employ these people because they're doing damage, right? They're actively scaring people away from taking the vaccine, and that is not a good thing. Hmm. Yeah, not a good thing at all. But uh, yeah, I certainly agree that uh, I, I read the uh, the BSA decision, and um, yeah, it was pretty detailed, and they did some very good analysis as to as to why um, TVNZ on the Seven Sharp program we were quite within their rights to take uh, Nikki Nikki Turner as an as an expert, and they and they shouldn't have had to been doing their own research in order to establish the safety of the vaccine. Um, in order in order to be able to present that on TV, so yeah, I think uh, they're they're pretty much uh, clutching clutching at straws there in order to to uh, try and. Uh, d- d- I mean, to me, it seems that they will just take any any opportunity to discredit the vaccine and, and put people off for whatever reason. Don't claim to understand why people take this particular approach. I don't. I really don't know. It's. Yeah, I I think sometimes with groups like this, um, they end up using things like the BSA and um, advertising standards and Official Information Act requests as well, just as a a way of harassing people and harassing groups. They don't care so much that they don't get a win. What they care is that they're putting the questions out there and Mm. that they're, you know, wasting the time of these people. And I think the number of OIAs that I read that, you know, somebody is, they're acting like they're asking for official information but you can see they're just looking to have an argument with the government that basically they don't like something and the whole OIA is just worded in a way that basically is trying to get across that they think the government is corrupt or that they're taking away our freedoms, especially, you know, recently with the whole um, parliament protest and everything. There's a lot of people out there that are trying to prove that Jacinda Ardern is running a communist government that's taking away our freedoms. And it's it's unfortunate to see people abuse those systems we have like that. Mm. Well, speaking of that, so I was uh, having a look around the interwebs today, just checking up on the the various prominent figures in the uh, anti-vaccine and misinformation uh, ecosystem. And um, one of the things uh, that was announced today was that uh, there were a couple of MPs or former MPs who've been trespassed from the parliament grounds. And so one of those was um, Matt King, who uh, used to be a national MP. He was a one-term national MP. uh, And it seems that he had some very uh, weird uh, beliefs. Um, He's he's anti-vaccine. He's also what seems to be a climate change denier. Um, But he's out of parliament now. But back in February, when the the, the protest was happening at parliament grounds, then he went down there and 
um, spent some time with the with the uh, occupiers and uh, basically gave them support. Um, so he's he's been uh, given a trespass notice and he's not allowed to go back onto the uh, parliament grounds for two years. Um, and uh, so I saw I saw a video he made today uh, where he was complaining about this because the next election is in around eighteen months. So he thinks that um, he's going to get back into Parliament and then he might not be able to go onto the Parliament grounds in order to actually do his job as an MP. Yeah. So has he just started a new political party? I think I saw him being interviewed by Sean Plunkett. Sean Plunkett seems to have a new platform. Called the, the platform, platform maybe, <laughs> and um, yeah, I think he was saying on that that he's registered a new party called maybe Democracy Now, um, mm. and so presumably the government is sensible enough that if he needs to be on Parliament grounds before the election for anything, they will let him on. There will be there will be an exemption. Then they're not actually trying to stop him from running a political party. They're obviously just not happy. Well, you would he, say that. <laughs> they're not happy that he ignored a trespass order and he trespassed on Parliament. And I think that's fair enough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm not convinced because I think the only thing they've come out with so far is that they wanted to announce the formation of the new political party on the steps of Parliament and that this was a removal of democracy that they weren't going to let them do that. And it's a nice to have, but they do not, they absolutely do not need to announce the start of a new political party on the steps of Parliament. That's not a requirement. They can do everything they need to do without being on Parliament grounds. Yeah, indeed. And, of course, the other, the other uh, ex-MP who was trespassed was... Uh, Winston Peters, who used to be the Deputy <laughs> Prime Minister of New Zealand. Now, Winston Peters is not going to take this very well, is he? He's he's not the type just to lie down. No, so he uh, he he believes it's uh, politically motivated. Apparently, the um, the trespass notices were issued by Trevor Mallard, the Speaker of the House. Although it's kind of from what the reading I've done around it, it seems that the Parliamentary Services Committee was actually responsible for making the decisions as to as to who to trespass. Um, so whether or not those things stand, uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. But I think it makes a good point. I mean, people went down there and they were told they were trespassing, they didn't leave. And so now if they turn up again, they should be arrested for trespassing. Yeah, I believe from what I understand, the the event that was run the first day of the protest, the convoy arriving, I think they had like permission until 5 p.m. to be on grounds, because when you want to protest on Parliament, you apply for permission and you're granted permission to go onto the grounds. And I, I think normally that finishes at like 5 p.m. And from what I understand, that one finished at 5 p.m. Bronwyn and I were there on that first day and they were they were announcing over the tannoy. One of the Destiny people was trying to say, people, it's great that you're all here protesting, but just remember, you have to leave by 5 p.m., knowing full well that was not going to happen. Um, but good on him for trying to tell a crowd of hundreds that they had to leave at five o'clock. <laughs> so, yes, I think that was as far as, you know, their legal ability to be on Parliament grounds was, was just until 5 p.m. the first day. Anytime after that, the police were making it clear that these people were trespassing. Yes. Well, just as well you two left uh, and didn't hang around. Otherwise, you might have been trespassed as well. I did go back actually on the Friday night after Skeptics in the Pub. We we talked about this before. I went back 
kind of late in the evening to go and see what it was like just after Trevor Mallard had turned on the sprinklers and it started raining as well. Um, mm. And I figured I needed to see that. Um, and certainly, you know, that, that was a, a dumb decision by Mallard, I'd say. Um, so maybe if Mallard has had a hand in this trespassing, these two very public figures, I'm not sure. I think we'll only know in a few months whether it was a good decision or not, but quite possibly mm. it's going to backfire a little bit and not look great. Yeah. And, and, I mean, a point that's been made in some of the media response towards this is, well, why, why aren't we hearing from Chantel Baker and those sort of personalities mm. about, you know, why haven't they received trespass notices? Because if anyone was sort of going to kick up a fuss about getting a trespass notice, it probably would be your, you know, your non-mainstream media personalities mm. who were there. And I, I've just been looking at uh, Chantel Baker's uh, Facebook page while you guys were chatting, and she hasn't mentioned anything whatsoever. So I, I guess that's what... a really difficult one because she is claiming to be the media, mm-hmm. at least a part of the media. And yeah. it's really difficult to be seen to be preventing media, even if they are mm-hmm. alternative media, from getting access to, to these sorts of things. And what about the Harry Krishnas who were there? You know, we had some pretty, and, you know, Voices for Freedom and Claire Deeks. Are they getting notices? But how do you know which Harry Krishnas it was? I mean, it, obviously they were a breakaway part of the Harry Krishnas. They weren't the official Harry Krishnas, but they all shave their heads. They all look alike. How do you know who's who? <laughs> they all dress in orange. Yeah. <laughs> it's a nightmare figuring out which ones are trespassing sure, and which surely, ones are Surely there was an actual undercover officer there taking down some names. Hmm. I'd like to think the undercover officer was dressed as a Harry Krishna just to fit in. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, it does make you wonder what the process is, though, that it may be Matt King and and um, Winston Peters have kind of been singled out. And I guess because they, you would expect them as being MPs to at least have some sort of elevated sense of responsibility for um, obeying the law. Um, so who knows? Maybe they're working down a spreadsheet that somebody put together and, you know, the first people on the list were the people that were so obviously there. It's like, oh, yeah, remember Winston Peters was there. Put him on the list. And <laughs> yeah. Maybe eventually they'll get down to Chantal Baker. Yeah. So um, so I've also been having a look at, uh, at the communications that have been coming out of the Voices for Freedom. And uh, they, it, my perception, at least, is that they seem to be a lot less prominent um, these days, I know I know they're still around, and perhaps the the occupation at Parliament was a a focal point, which gave them a lot more um, mind share in the in the uh, in the public's mind, and and at least in my mind, um, but they they seem to have quietened down a little bit. Um, but looking at the communications, they seem these days to be um, promoting the ideas of self. Uh, what do I mean? So, um, reliance, self-reliance. So they're they're um, they're promoting things like survivalist um, and um, prepper kind of um, material, which is, I guess, potentially in reaction to um, the, the 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 cost of living crisis and the in the inflation that's going on at the moment, and that um, food is becoming uh, much more expensive. And so what they're promoting is that people should be growing their own vegetables in their gardens and uh, as, a, as a way of um, reducing the amount of money they have to spend at the supermarket. But I really can't see 
many people actually going out and uh, planting their planting their own gardens and in in that that takes quite a lot of um, dedication and skill and and uh, knowledge I think that uh, people these days don't really have. It, I mean, and people also don't recognize that you know gardening actually costs a fair amount of money in the in the yeah. upfront, and a lot of people don't have that. Hmm. Exactly. So, are they selling prepper kits? Have they gone that far that they're flogging stuff? It does seem to be that ca- the case. So, I watched um, a part of a video on Odyssey where there was a woman from a, a company here in New Zealand that was selling survival kits. Um, and they, from what I can see, they look quite pricey. And interestingly, um, in my email inbox uh, this week, um, consumer, the um, consumer rights advocate organization actually did an article that looked at um, different survival kits that you could buy and what the prices of them were and, and what was the best one to buy. And, and they come to the conclusion that you can actually put one together yourself for a lot less money than, um, than buying one of these commercial ones. Uh, yeah, I guess for most countries, I just shake my head, but this is New Zealand and we have earthquakes and to a large extent having some kind of survival kit does make sense just in case, but just selling these kits and, you know, trying to make money out of scaremongering, not, mm. I'm guessing voices for freedom are not doing this because of earthquakes, but they're doing this because of the threat of societal collapse. It just sounds like what's been going on in the U S with some of the evangelical preachers that they've been selling some God awful survival kits, like big plastic drums full of meals um, that apparently when you cook them are absolutely awful uh, <laughs> overpriced. But again, you've, you've got a captive audience, you know, the televangelists, they make a lot of money from selling pretty much anything that they advertise. And yeah, yeah I've, I think I've seen a YouTube video of someone trying to make the food from these big barrels and none of it tasted good at all. Well, it'd be perfect for you at the moment, Mark, given you have no set of taste to sell. <laughs> hang on, hang on. I'm going to check. I've got a, uh, oh, where's it gone? I've got a little bit of mango somewhere that I keep nibbling on just to see if my sense of taste is coming back. And it hasn't done yet. I've lost my, uh, here's my mango. All right. I've got my piece of mango. Let's see. No, can't taste a thing. This is ridiculous. It tastes like cardboard or something like that. I could taste there's a tang. I can taste that it's, yeah, there's something. I guess that might be kind of the slight acidity of it, mm. but that's about yeah. it. I ate a whole load of chili earlier, and uh, that really didn't taste anything. And a really nice pack of satay noodles was wasted on me. I asked for the nice noodles, and then after I ate them, it's like, I don't even know if I had the nice noodles or not, because I just did not taste a thing. <laughs> and then finally, I, I checked in on uh, Jeanette Wilson. And uh, she's another crazy figure who seems to believe anything that anybody tells her. Um, so Jeanette Wilson, we've we've had a few things to do with before. She's basically, I, I think, an English psychic, like uh, Sue Nicholson, who's came yeah. over here a good few years ago, right? Mm, she's an ex-bank uh, manager. Honestly, as an Englishman, I have to apologize for all the psychics that are coming from England over here. Yeah. It's getting ridiculous. But she's one that has done not just readings but uh psychic surgery and she's done um taking pictures of auras and spirit orbs mm-hmm. it's she she does a lot of it yeah yeah no, she she seems to, she seems to have a bit of a following um but i think they they're all kind of 
<laughs> people who believe that sort of stuff, I guess, so they wouldn't follow her if, if they didn't. But uh, yeah, so she was she was down at the protest in Wellington, and so she's been kicking up a fuss over the past couple of days. I've seen on her Facebook posts. Um, so she was uh, dragged out of the the crowd in Wellington by the police, and she alleges that uh, the police broke her sternum. And at the time, it seemed like it was quite serious. But I do remember that she was out of uh, hospital quite quickly. But now she's uh, she's saying that she's trying to get some action out of the police complaint authority about how she was treated, and she's got some video up on her page um, of of her being dragged out of the crowd. So it does not look like she uh, went willingly. So I can imagine that uh, trying to drag her out if she's not being cooperative is. Uh, possibly uh, might well have led to some of her injuries. Who knows? Yeah. So the police are going to have to be a little bit rough if you're trying hmm. to resist them and they've decided that they need to remove you from the crowd. And I, I actually watched a video of um, Jeanette in the protest in the front line sometime just before the police decided to remove her. And she was talking to the police and telling them that they needed to take a knee, that they needed to um, basically kneel down and accept the protesters as the the people with authority um, because the government that they were under, the government that they were following the rules of, just a corporation and Mm. that they basically needed to kneel for the protesters. They needed to kneel in front of God um, and just accept that this corporation that they were following is not legitimate and that they needed to change their allegiance. So Mm. I imagine that would have like miffed police a little bit, (laughs) Um, bit of a weird conspiratorial thing to try to convince them of. Yeah, so I guess this uh, this leads into the idea of the sheriffs and the sovereign citizens that uh, popped up recently. Which is where it gets pretty weird, huh? Mm. <laughs> the idea that people think that they can just use some magic legalese and make themselves not beholden to the laws of New Zealand. And it just, it seems to be gaining a lot of traction. Mm. Yeah. It's a big old cosplay, really, and... Um... Because they were recent. Did we talk about it last time about how they were present at the Anzac Day ceremony for and they wanted to use the um, landscape of the Anzac ceremony for their own uh, induction? No. So th- this was one that just came out because Anzac was what, just over a week ago? Mm. Last Monday, yeah. Yeah, a week and a yep. day. So this was after our last podcast. But yeah, this was locally to us, Bromwyn, up at uh, Capity. They had an Anzac service where a bunch of these um, sovereign citizen sheriffs. So I think we did talk before about the justice of the peace and um, them basically signing possibly through coercion, some documents that have made people into sheriffs of New Zealand, this sovereign citizen idea that they're the legitimate police force of our country. And a few of these, I believe, including Ricky Cribb, who, if anybody doesn't know him, you have to look up Ricky Cribb. He was an advance NZ um, candidate for their political party last election. He's a guy that wears basically a red suit and like red wraparound glasses like a cyclops. He <laughs> is weird, to say the least. I'm going to but have to yeah, look him up now. <laughs> you will. You're going to have to look at his picture. So a group of these um, so-called sheriffs turned up at the Anzac Day Parade, and they asked if they could 
give a talk. They asked if they could go up to the front along with the other dignitaries, um, even though they hadn't been booked in advance. And the organizers decided it was just less embarrassing if they let them have a few minutes, which was obviously in retrospect a mistake. Um, because these people got up and within a few minutes they started spouting enough conspiratorial nonsense that I only saw a video of the very end of the speech, but people started booing and asking for them to leave. And eventually the organizer stepped up onto stage and just said, please, can you go? And they, they went, but it's disappointing that they even got that far. I guess a lot of people, you know, it's, it tends to be a Kiwi thing just to try and take the, uh, the road of least friction to um, just try and be polite and um, and not cause a fuss. But in this case, they ended up giving airtime to a group that just don't deserve any airtime whatsoever. Yes. So I've looked up uh, Ricky Cribb and, uh, yeah, he's definitely going for the Che Guevara look, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he, he changes his look depending on what he's doing. I've watched a video of him entertaining a crowd. I think it might've been like a, a birthday party or something. And he was acting like Michael Jackson, dancing to a Michael Jackson song oh, and wow. popping balloons filled with glitter using nunchucks. <laughs> and it was excruciatingly painful, but I watched the whole thing because I like of many talents. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure this is a talent. He obviously didn't know how to use nunchucks. But he had them, and he just swung them round until he'd popped the balloons. Yes, you do. <laughs> there certainly are some crazies out there, aren't there? There, yeah, there are some people that definitely have lost touch with reality fairly majorly, and seems like we're getting more of them these days. More people are, you know, starting to believe these ideas, like that the um, the government is just a corporation because in Os uh, America it's being registered for tax purposes and therefore it's not legitimate anymore. And or that the government is making a straw man. One of the sovereign citizens idea ideas over here is that they make a straw man company in your name and that basically they can't tax you. They can only tax the company. But as soon as they can get your signature for either a driver's license or a passport, they can assign the company to your name and start taxing you. So as long as you don't have a passport or a driver's license, you're all fine. You can never be taxed. And so there's a bunch oh, of people geez. trying to undo those, their driver's licenses so that they can stop paying taxes. And it's like, it's not how it works and it's not going to happen. Jeez, if only I know, and I have to, I have to pay, pay provisional tax this week. If I can just cancel my driver's license and my passport, <laughs> I can avoid doing that. Give it a try. Go on. Just just try it. And I think this would, be a, this would be amazing for the Skeptics newsletter. Just you basically <laughs> explaining how much the fines are just yes. climbing week by week as uh, the local council and the government uh, get more and more unhappy with you. Bronman, you were going to tell us about uh, some pediatric thing or are you going to talk yeah. about the murders? Yeah, well, it's funny. Um, I never had, I didn't hear about this. Um, well, it's an acute pediatric hepatitis outbreak that's happening in Europe, specifically in the UK, quite a, most of the cases are, as well as it's in the US. Now, I didn't hear about the outbreak directly, even though the World Health Organization has, and the CDC in the US have put out announcements. Um, it came across my Facebook page by a couple of people who I have to say are still on my friends list, but who are anti-vaxxers. <laughs> anti um, and they're saying, oh, 
you know, all these children are, are, are coming down with hepatitis. Um, what, what new medication could be, be the cause of that? You know, so trying to make, you know, in their sly way, a connection to between this outbreak and the COVID vaccine. Now, of course, um, things being the way they are, both the CDC and the World Health Organization have had to come out, you know, arms swinging, saying none of these children had COVID before. And actually, most of them haven't had the vaccine before. So there is no connection between this, between the outbreak and the vaccine or even the COVID itself. Um, and it's, it's, it's a different virus as well. It's what's called an adenovirus. Um, namely, it, cause, it can cause like diarrhea as well as respiratory illnesses um, and conjunctivitis. But now that's, but the causing the, um, this sort of hepatitis outbreak is, it's a little bit novel and they don't know where it's come from or how it's transmitting the way it is. Um, sadly, one child has died. And I think um, maybe the numbers needing transplants are in the double digits. And the ages of the children affected, I think, go between about maybe one to a couple of months to 16 years of age. Yeah. So I think Ooh. it's just keep skeptics need to keep their ears and eyes open if people start talking about liver disease in children being caused by the vaccine. This is where it's coming from. OK, interesting. Yes. Anything that goes wrong can be blamed on something <laughs> that's been recently introduced, whether or not there's uh, any good reason to do that. Is correlation is not causation, sort of. Mm. Yeah, but I guess when you're when you're trying to blame the vaccine, even if people, you know, like kids have not had the vaccine, you can then jump to something like vaccine shedding or whatever else. You know, this is how passively the vaccine is affecting people that haven't had it. Mm. The COVID is still here. Yes, it's unfortunate. The number of people that are dying every day from it in New Zealand now that it's. uh, now that it has essentially been let loose. (laughs) Yes, I've been mulling all this over as I've been lying in bed the last few days, just, you know, how unfortunate it was that eventually COVID did get out. And the number of deaths is surprisingly high for me. It just, it seems like quite a large number. You know, we've been double digits for a few weeks. I think we might have dropped down back to single digits now, but it's, I mean, certainly a lot better later rather than sooner, but it's disappointing mm. that it had to happen at all, really. And now they're wanting to open the borders and uh, let just anybody in, and the, the tourist businesses are saying, oh, we shouldn't be having these restrictions at all, which really annoys me. <sighs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, those same tourist business may struggle a little bit if all their staff are getting sick. Indeed. Or else they can just start, you know, they become a boutique. You know, they have um, deliberately low numbers of attendance or low space, low number of spaces for higher cost. Mm, There's a way to recoup. So, Bronwyn, you've been trawling through the calendar and uh, looking at interesting events in the past. Yes, and we've hit a milestone this weekend. We are more than halfway through. We got it for about 174 um, entries. You know, well, I should say 174 days that have been covered. Some days have multiple entries, so certainly I have more than 174 <laughs> um, entries in. Uh, but yeah, so one of the things that I came across this week um, that I'll be talking about is Zinga Lee. Uh, she was a fortune teller and a palmist and someone who's, you know, an expert in palmistry, quote unquote, and uh, also engaged in phrenology, which was sort of that semi-racist uh, practice where you sort of would, you know, measure someone's head and that would tell you sort of key aspects of their personality. 
So the criminal sloping forehead and that kind of thing, being able to figure out whether someone was a good or bad person based on the shape of their head. Mm-hmm. And it was bumps, bumps as well, wasn't it? Oh, uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still want one of those really nice, you know, the phrenology head models. I, mm. I want one of those. I might have to order one off AliExpress. Maybe you just, maybe this is an excuse to buy, a, you know, one of those um, 3D printers and then you can print one yourself. Oh, good thinking. Mm, yeah, I got the good ideas. Um, but anyway, so sort of in like, um, what is it? March 30th, 1894. So we're going back, you know, to the 19th century. Um this person, Zinga Lee, we don't know in the New Zealand papers of that time if she if this was an alias or her real name. Um, she was, you know, doing the circuits around Fielding, Wellington. Um, I think she might have been somewhere else as well, just um, offering her services on Cuba Street and so on as a palm reader and a phrenologist. Uh, then sort of in, when was it? May have been about May 8th. She's arrested for fortune telling. So in at least in the 1908 Criminal Act, the, you know, fortune telling was in the law as a crime. Um, but at the same time, you would have Anglican churches uh, writing for permission so that they can have fortune telling stalls at their bazaars. So it was uh, rules for some, rules for others sort of situation. So now, that, the, do you know whether that act is still in effect? No, with the Crimes Act of 1961, um, the Witchcraft Act, which the sort of fortune telling act was associated with, um, was repealed. And the Witchcraft Act of 1735, one of those UK laws that we sort of adopted when mm. the New, well, New Zealand adopted when they were just sort of building up their laws, the Crimes Act made sure that it was repealed. However, if you look at the Summary Offensives Act, um, trying to claim to be a psychic and trying to, um, you know, make money from being a psychic with those sort of powers. Can is also, can you can get a fine of about $1,000, uh, but you don't get fined if you just claim it's all for entertainment. Mm. <laughs> so, um, and there's been a few, um, when you look through the New Zealand Papers Pass, is a really great place to look. Quite a few people were, you know, did get charged with fortune telling. Uh, don't think that happened with Zinga Lee. Um, just sort of indicated that she was, Bail was offered and the magistrate probably wasn't going to pursue charges due to lack of evidence. And she just sort of disappears off the New Zealand newspaper page. Uh, Unlike other psychics or at least other female fortune tellers of the time, we don't get her real name. She's just called Zinga Lee. However, she working at KFC now making burgers. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she was actually at. If, if you look in um, sort of uh, May 1894 and you look into some Melbourne papers, Zinga Lee was involved or was the subject of a very brutal and violent attack, um, which left her husband murdered. Um, so in the eastern suburbs or the eastern markets of Melbourne was very well known as sort of having lots of fortune tellers and phrenologists. It was sort of, you know, Woo Valley in many ways. And Zinga Lee had been established there for about nine years. Um, she didn't call herself a fortune teller. They call, she called herself a character reader because it was illegal to call yourself a fortune teller in Australia. So that was the way they got around it. Um, and this Zinga Lee um, was married to a former circus performer who went legit and owned a phonography stop or a phonograph store. And what he would do using the old circus tricks was touch a wire to her hand. And I'm not sure how they would power it or charge it, but anytime she would touch somebody, she would give them a shock. 
So that was her shtick. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Um, now, I think about five years into her business, they get this um, neighbor called um, Gordon Emery, uh, Emery Gordon Medore. And his thing, he hated Zinga Lee and her family and their associates. He hated them. He wanted to bring, you know, respectability to the craft of phrenology. So, and, but he was also a drunk and he was a really miserable dude to, for people to live with. So he was kind of the subject, it seems like, of a lot of pranks and schemes against him. One day, it was about April 10th, 1899. He comes back from the bar. He sees some radishes on his door and he loses it. Um, why the radishes made him so angry. Some people think it's, oh, the radishes are bitter. And this is just a thing to say, oh yeah, you're, you're a bit of a bitter guy. Or it was the radishes are nice and red and you have, the, and they're like the nose of a drunk person. You're a drunk. <laughs> so Zinga Lee is actually, her business is across, her stall is across from his and she's laughing at him. And he's like, I know you did this. He pulls out a gun, shoots her and tries to shoot her in the chest, misses. And the bullet grazes her arm. In all the commotion, her husband runs out of his shop um, and tries to chase this guy and, you know, defend his wife. Um, unfortunately, Medor shoots um, Zingali's husband and also nearly decapitates him. And then a third person who's a picture framer tries to also get into the fracas and he gets stabbed in the eye for his troubles. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Violent um, times in Wellington. Well, no, this isn't. This is in Melbourne. Melbourne. Oh, this is in Melbourne. Oh, well, yeah. yes. So Zingali criminals. So yeah. Lee survives, um, and you know she ends up going around the circuit around Australia. You know, just you know, living off the fame and um, mm. infamy of this incident. Um, I think if you look in Zingali in Google Images, you'll find a set of fortune telling cards that they were selling. So, so how I'm do like, we spell Zingali? Z-I-N-G-A space L-E-E. Now, you'll also come across a horse from the 1950s that was racing um, that came to a rather oh, yeah. sad end when, it's, when, it's, when, it, when it broke one of its bones during a race. But going back to Zynga, um, so I'm like, you know, I was thinking, oh, they're the same person. And then I caught myself thinking... You know, maybe maybe Zinga Lee is just, you know, a very common pseudonym, you know, sort of how you have a lot of people call themselves Valentino or something similar or Matahari. Um, so I end up listening to a couple of podcasts and I came across Zinga Lee's great nephew, Walter Malloy, or Walter Maloney, I should say. And I end up finding that he was communicating or, you know, in a chat with somebody on Facebook in a public forum about this game that was based on his great aunt's story. So I write him just saying, oh, you know, do you know anything about this? And he actually sort of, you know, gave some clarification. Um, he wasn't aware that um, Zinga and her partner ever went to New Zealand, but he said there was a big, you know, vaudeville circuit. So it's possible that it could have been New Zealand or the Zinga Lee that we see in our papers could be the Melbourne's, um, the Melbourne Zingalee's sister because they would often share the name when they were performing. Mm. So they would be sort of a season on, season off sort of thing. So I thought that was actually pretty cool. That does sound like a fascinating story. So I've just found a podcast uh, called Fortune Killer. Yep. Is that one about Zingalee? You say you've listened to that? I've listened to part of that. And there was Dead and Buried as well. Worth listening to? It's a good one. That's, I'd say it's, you know, for because I was really interested in at the moment, it was, it was worth it for me. Nice. 
Mm. Spe- speaking of media to consume, uh, Mark, I understand that you might have seen uh, some of the Hillsong documentary. Yeah. So, you know, given that I'm stuck in bed and uh, and feeling sorry for myself, I, uh, I've i started churning through documentaries. Um, and yes, the three part Hillsong one I watched. It was good. Um, mm. Unfortunately, I guess there must have been a little bit of um, production time after they'd finished, but they finished before Brian Houston quit. So they did a good job of basically um, first looking at Carl Lentz and how uh, how bad he was, mm. um, how hypocritical he was in his behavior versus in his sexual escapades versus how much he was telling everybody that followed him that any kind of sex was immorality before marriage. Uh, and then they went on to Brian Houston knowingly hiding and keeping from police his father's child sex abuse. But the whole thing was made before it turned out that Brian had his own Issues. I think there was one texting event and one wandering into a female parishioner's hotel room event. (laughs) And of course, there was an explanation for both of those, you know, to do with um, being on prescription drugs and too much alcohol and accidental. (laughs) And it's the usual nonsense that you hear. It's like the um, the politician in the UK that's just been caught watching (laughs) pornography. We're looking for a tractor site. (laughs) So what? Yeah. What is that tractor site? Is it like is there a porn star called John Deere without the E on the end? Or <laughs> I, I need to find this out. I've got to go and do my research. But it's the same kind of thing. Listening to Brian Houston's excuse about why this all happened or the church's excuse that they might have made for him. It's totally unbelievable. But the three part documentary series, it was all finished and filmed before the revelations about Brian Houston himself came out and before he properly quit the church. Um, mm. Um, so it kind of it missed a trick in not given that I think it's only just been released. They they didn't try and kind of stick in an extra five or ten minutes about that. But it's good nonetheless. It's a it is a very good expose of what these churches are like. And of course, given that, and I think this makes it fairly obvious as you watch this um, that a rise church here in New Zealand is trying to model itself off of Hillsong. And you hear about how their Hillsong's International Ministry School, a lot of it was just interning. It was just unpaid labor, you know, doing long hours of horrible jobs. Mm. Um, it, it looks like all the bad stuff that Hillsong was doing are the things that Arise Church over here in New Zealand has kind of picked up on. Yeah, I've only just sort of begun to watch the, the documentary, but it's just the the scale of the size of the church, the physical yes. church, is just phenomenal. And the interesting thing is you could never, ever replicate that in New Zealand because there's not enough people to go to that sort of size church. But Well, I don't know because, you know, in, in like one of the later episodes, they're interviewing a couple that started the church in Kiev in Ukraine. And you'd right. figure that's going to be a hard place to start a new church. Um, Mm. But one thing that really interested me, because they have this map showing all the locations that have Hillsong churches, and the one major location that I thought that didn't was New Zealand, you know, Western, just across the pond from Australia, and yet there's no Hillsong church. And given the connections between Arise and Hillsong, I wonder whether maybe there's an informal agreement there that Hillsong were (laughs) not to open in New Zealand because Arise is here and because they're kind of sister churches in a way. Maybe there's a gentleman's agreement. 
Yeah. But so from the start of the documentary that I watched, it does seem that there was a, an early New Zealand connection with the Hillsong Church, I think. Yes. So Frank Houston, who started it, is a New Zealander, and he went to Australia to carry on his ministry. I'm not sure. There was a hint somewhere that I saw that maybe he left New Zealand because of child abuse accusations here. Um, and then ended up abusing children in Australia. But at the very least, when he got to Australia, he was a child abuser. And Brian Houston was very much aware that this had happened and had made a payoff to um, somebody and never told the police. And yeah, the guy just, he looks creepy. He freaks me out a little bit, to be quite honest. <laughs> I don't get like some preachers you look at and they're dynamic, like Carl Lentz, you know, he's cool. And they, they have a picture in the documentary that show him just, um, I think it's Justin Bieber he's next to and looking mm. much sexier and, and more well-toned than Justin Bieber. Um, Carl Lentz just looks like a, a very cool guy in that mm. way. Featured many times on the Preachers and Sneakers um, Instagram, I think it is, where they show all the expensive shoes that preachers tend to wear. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, that's that's Carl Lentz. But I don't know. It doesn't seem the same with Brian Houston. He doesn't feel to me like the kind of preacher that people would want to follow. He just seems a little bit old and gruff and angry. He was cool once. <laughs> he was hit with maybe the kids. he was. Yeah, and maybe, now maybe compared old to and strange. <laughs> yeah. But it, I think with him and with others, it's when they still try to wear, you know, this this cool fashion, and they're getting older and older. It's like there's a point at which you just have to stop. Just just move on to wearing suits. It's much better than trying to wear branded clothing with big words on them. I'm about to watch a similar um, a documentary that's also about sort of a weird evangelical church in the U.S. Um, the final two episodes of The Way Down um, from HBO have been released. Um, I don't know if either of you are familiar with Gwen Shamblin. No. Okay. Well, her sort of shtick was, you know, by mi mixing religion with weight loss. <laughs> oh, W-E-I-G-H down, is it? No, it's W-A-Y. I think oh, okay. I'm not sure how it was originally spelled, but that's the documentary is the W-A-Y down. Oh, right. hang on. Did she die in a plane crash? Yes, she did. Um, I think it was, if not. <laughs> well, that was the way down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that was it. that's this is another church in the U.S. that's considered quite cultish. Um, a lot garnered a lot of controversy. Um, children died. Are, have been killed by their parents oh, wow. with relation to the disciplinary techniques that um, Gwen Shamlin and her leadership promoted. Oh, that's not good. No, so what's the documentary you know, called? Um, the Way Down. The Way Down. Okay. I will have to somehow source a copy of that legally. I've just uh, Googled images of it, and my God, that here. Yeah, well, you know, it's it was the interesting um, connection and discussion in terms of the appearance and the weight loss in the context of American evangelical religion. One of the points that they make is that, you know, you look at, or at least in the 90s, a lot of the men were very overweight, you know, and that was seen to be, you know, betraying the um, gluttony and greed that under underwrote the um, American evangelical landscape. Whereas, you know, for the women, it was, you know, okay, well, you know, we're going to starve for Jesus, lose weight for Jesus. Oh, you can make the Bible say anything you want, can't you? Yeah. 
<sighs> right. But I would re- I definitely recommend the first um the first part that was released. I think it was three or four episodes. Really very good. But it just had to end on that really abrupt note because again, Jim, it was that plane crash that happened. Mm. And you didn't they didn't quite know what was going to happen with the church. Is it going to just falter or is her daughter, you know, the one who lost her husband in the plane crash? Is she going to pick up the mantle? Yes, that looks like a good documentary to watch. It's, um, I think we kind of get satisfaction out of watching these things where uh, things don't go right for people. Mm. Um, but you know, there's a, you know, there's a, but there's a lot of bodies strewn along that path for you know that mm. shot for that to happen. You know, there's a lot of tragedy. Well, indeed, there. yes, there's a lot of collateral damage, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And so often, so often, it's the kids, right, that end up being mistreated badly because this is what apparently god wants what's happening in uh, in wellington in, in terms of uh uh meetups and so on i guess mark you won't be attending one for a little while no, no i'm gonna have to miss this week's skeptics in the pub which is really disappointing i i think it'd be a little bit cheeky to ask for them to make a like a video link just for me so <laughs> i'm just gonna sulk at home for the evening yeah yeah we have some we have some members who don't uh who don't approve of the devil devices as we currently use them. I don't know how he'd feel about a, a live safe, a live feed. During that, that, that's a name for mobile phones, devil devices. <laughs> um, but yeah, note the, uh, we still have the Friday meeting at six o'clock at, in, in the intercontinental hotel in their lounge on two gray street, but not the restaurant two gray, as we keep on saying, um, even though Mark won't be there to grace us with their presence, there's still some pretty cool people, or I like to think I'm cool, um, who show up. So come and say hi. Uh, then next Thursday will be the um, Skeptical Activism at Fork and Brewer. Is that still going to go ahead? You hope you recover by then, Mark? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm okay because my seven days will be up by then. But if my family members start to show symptoms. I think the home isolation starts again. I'm not sure whether I'm allowed out as an exemption to that. So mm-hmm. quite possibly it won't happen. Probably I'll know tomorrow, the whole family are going to take rat tests tomorrow just to see whether any of them have picked it up off me. And your rat test immediately showed infection, did it? You didn't have uh, any rat tests that didn't? Yeah. So I basically, I woke up in the morning. Now I, I have this really horrible thing where just a couple of beers sometimes give me a, give me a really bad hangover. And it's, I guess it's just age. I've, <laughs> I've looked up whether way. it could be allergies or anything like that, but I think <laughs> it's just old age, sadly. Um, but when I woke up on Sunday morning, it just felt like this was something more than than just a two beer hangover. And so, yes, at about midday, I took the test and that line came in good and strong straight away. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, yeah, there's no doubting that one. No messing around. Hang on, hang on. I've got it here. Look. Well, that could be our image for... For the it will be. I. I. It will be the episodes cover. How is that? Because yeah, that was. <laughs> yeah, and I. I thought and I was going to annoy maybe, my wife, maybe, but maybe you could make an M- NFT of it, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Your my unique code. <gasps> Every rat test has a unique code, I think. So maybe they could become <laughs> NFTs. But yeah, I thought I thought I was going to annoy my wife, but she was overjoyed. Another week off work. She was like, she'd come home that morning hungover. Um, and was just dreading you know, after two weeks off as a kindy teacher having to go back. And she was over the moon that I had a positive test. 
I wonder, uh, you know, sometimes with pregnancy tests, you can't, you have to read them within the first 10 or so 15 minutes because it can potentially give you a false positive. I'm wondering if you just sort of held that rat test for a period of time, does it give you a false positive after a while? I wonder, probably not though. Probably would not work that way. Uh, From the instructions that I've read on them, because I took one once and when I thought I might have had some symptoms, but it was negative. But yes, it, it is only valid for a certain period of time after you've taken the test. Yeah, lemon juice, I believe, can give a, a false positive. I think I've seen something online, somebody using lemon juice in order to, oh, to get a line. And hey, look, a this scam is that don't work. Right. <laughs> or oh, yes, geez. or that as well. Yeah. Well, we, um, we wish you well, Mark, and hopefully you'll recover very quickly. And uh, be able to attend the uh, Skeptics in the Pub. I'm sure I'll be back soon. Sooner than you'd like. <laughs> no, not at all. I'm already bored of being stuck at home. All right. You have been listening to the Year Now podcast. If you'd like to give us some feedback, you can send us an email, uh, newsletter at skeptics.nz, or you can try contacting us on Twitter at Year Now Pod while it's still free of the Elon Musk influence. (laughs) See you all next time. Adios. Bye.